I'm Michael, and I'm a part of the Alex Park Missional Community, and I like playing PC games. I want to share with you a particularly famous moment in gaming history, and that is with a very high-level player, uh, with a very high-level character, and the player who's called Leroy, and the character he named Leroy, obviously. And this character, he had all the best equipment. He had the highest of levels that you could be high, and and they stood um, with his acquaintances outside this cave with all this evil inside the cave and they're just planning how can they go forth and clinch victory how can they battle all this evil and win and instead of you know standing outside this cave and and thinking about how they can do this instead he just decides to charge in and battle the evil and he and he's shouting Leroy Jenkins and his acquaintances charmed by the ridiculous and surprising nature of this attack they follow him in and within minutes Leroy with all his might with all his strength and his allies there all of them lay defeated Despite the obscure gaming reference, hopefully you're able to identify in some way with Leroy as I ask you if you've ever been so secure in your strength that you wound up in a state of utter weakness and defeat. Alternatively, you may not have had a Leroy moment um, and you may still be secure in your own strength um, and still remain undefeated. Looking at this passage, we, are, we see that even the saviours among us need saving. That our greatest strength can leave us weak and without hope. That is, if we don't source our strength from God. This tragedy in Samson uh, that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, it, it, it now gives us a hope that God will show his strength in place of his people's weakness. Wait. So, you're saying that his people are weak so that he can look strong. Isn't that a little bit narcissistic? That we would be left as a Leroy, defeated and weak, so that he can look strong. That sounds ridiculous. Well... Even sometimes, his people, you can't even tell are believers when you meet them. I'm sure you've probably met people, and it may have been someone that stood on the door welcoming you as you first arrived at Redeemer. It may have been someone, a colleague at work that goes to church, or even the guy that's going to be uh, delivering a sermon to you for the next 30 minutes. We'll be thinking through how God's strength shines through us so that it's known we're God's people. To that end, through this story, we're taught the need for strength. We're warned of imitations of strength. And we're to believe in the real strength. We, like Israel, in our natural state, do not recognise our need for a saviour. We're weak. In fact, we mistake our weakness and the weakness of others for strength. 
We believe in false strengths. We rely on weaknesses. We are content without strength. And so we don't see the need for strength. Chapters 1 to 3 in our Judges sermon series was titled Crying Out. And that's what Israel did. They cried out and the Lord answered them. And again in chapter 2 they cry out and the Lord answers them. And twice in chapter 3 they cry out and twice the Lord answers them. Again, chapter 4, they cry out, he answers. Chapter 6 and 10, cry, answer. And then we arrive here at chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. At this point, we normally see Israel cry out. But in verse 2, we start hearing about Noah and his wife. There was no crying out. Nobody cried out to God. And yet, God, through his mercy, sends a saviour to deliver Israel. Or at least take the lead. Begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines, their oppressors. God saw the need for strength. That's why he sends Samson the saviour of Israel. All you have to do is listen back to uh, Greg's sermon last week or reread your notes and you see how messy and brash a man Samson was. He was so flawed. Why would God send him? Why does God use this selfish, lustful and prideful man? Because he knew who the enemy was. The rest of Israel did not. Read with me uh, chapter 15, verses 9. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. And so here we have a massive chunk of Israel sending a horde of their very best to go against Samson. To go against their own saviour. They are siding with the enemy and inhibiting their deliverer. The same one in which God sent to free them. They are using all their might. We therefore have the might of Philistia and Israel. Surely, now even more so, we're realising how much these these people need strength. Samson may be flawed, but at least he knew who the enemy was. He wasn't going to bury his head in the sand Uh, as Israel have, where both Israel and Samson make the same mistake of forsaking God. Samson is the one who will be faithless to Philistia. This story was written to Israel to remind them of the need for strength, that they can't go on saying in in their oppression, it's always been like this. Freedom isn't possible. 
And for us, similarly, we must see the need for strength. We can't be content in weakness, but must see the need for strength. One year, my family were heading to spring harvest as we did every year, and we were heading into the, the kind of cramped, portable home that we would stay in. Um, it would be cramped because you know there'd be five of us in the family and often a guest or two with us. Um, however, we, we drove up one year and to our horror, there was a problem. We arrive at the gate and <laughs> they say, sorry, uh, all the portable homes are booked up. We're gonna have to upgrade you to not the bronze tier chalet, but the silver tier chalet. And we didn't even know we needed the might of the silver tier chalet. I mean, think of the sibling arguments that would have been evaded, the elbows in pelvises as you cramped around this small dinner table. But as we drove up and we, were, we received that news, my parents weren't gonna say no. We paid for the oppressive portable home. We're gonna, we're gonna fight for this. That wouldn't have made sense. And the bad news is, we'll have some areas that we're settling for weakness that we're not even aware of. Something I wasn't aware of until writing this is how the church might be settling for less than it should be in this pandemic. Obviously fellowship has taken a big hit. That time that is so essential for building up the church and encouraging each other, what can be done? This isn't where we say, the government are pressing the church. We must meet up anyway, in spite of what they say. It's not the time for that. But this is the time to think, are we settling with a completely severed fellowship? Let's get out of thinking, this is how it is, and get creative. How can we have fellowship if we can't be physically around each other? And we're so tired of Zoom. I'm not full of solutions. I'm actually asking here, what can be done? Unless I'm mistaken, we can still meet one person over the next four weeks. We can still meet one person um, outside. And people tried early on in lockdown, people tried so hard to maintain that community that we should have. But we know that it took so much effort and energy Knowing that we need the strength of fellowship from God, we'll be working against that strength if we convince ourselves that we hate Zoom more than we want to build the church. In our weakness, God will show his strength. Let's not forget, we need that. And when we're aware of that need, let's not mistake the wrong thing. Don't be imprisoned by things that imitate God. Don't be cut off from God by things that imitate his strength. And before we look at the proposed strengths in these chapters, we're going to recap some of the amazing things that Samson has done. In chapter 14, verse 6, he tore a lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Verse 19, he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 of their men. In 15 
uh, verse 4. He caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. In verse 8, he attacked the Philistines viciously and slaughtered many of them. Verse 14, the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. In chapter 16, verse 3, he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. As the chapter continues, he breaks uh, his bonds of seven new bowstrings and then his bonds of new rope. And he finally pushes two central pillars in the temple of Dagon um, on the rulers and all the people in it. His destruction was so thorough that his family were able to go and get his body without much complaint from the Philistines. What was Samson's strength? wasn't his muscle or his masculinity or his diet of binging honey or the alcohol he was to abstain from. His strength wasn't his hair. His hair was in agreement with God. It was to say, I am yours and I am yours for a purpose. We could be fooled as he was in thinking that the strength was his. Even more so, his strength leaves him needing help from God. Chapter 15, verses 18. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. This saviour needed saving. Again, we see Samson's imitation of strength in a much more devastating way. Have a look at uh, chapter 16 with me, verse 20. I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. The strength is fully God's. Samson's strength leaves him dying of thirst, blinded, shackled, a slave, humiliated, and apart from God. Somewhere along the way, Samson has fallen for an imitation. He has been cut off from the real strength, that is God's, for an imitation of strength. Why did this happen? Well, he fell asleep. He was lulled into a state of such security in his own strength that he fell asleep on the lap of danger. The moment he was cut off from strength, from God, he wasn't even awake. Let's not fall asleep secured only by an imitation of strength. A good place to look for where we're fooled by fake strengths will be to look at our gifts. Look for the Samson-like strength in our life and we'll find a supernatural power that we attribute to ourselves rather than to God. So what supernatural gifts have God given us? I'd say, when it counts, Redeemer Church, you really love each other. 
when the babies um, are crying, those newborns are crying, the food rotors get made. And the babysitting, all of that. When guests, guests arrive at the pub, the meal, it's not on them. He's given us love so strong, 3,000 enemies couldn't hold it. Blindness couldn't hold it. Humiliation could not hold it. Are we going to love when we're outnumbered? Are we going to love when our own people are against us? If we don't recognise where this strength, this strength comes from, we'll end up looking like there's no God with us at all. Believer and, and non-believers alike will walk through the Royal Oak doors and they'll see a pub function room full of people, weak like anybody, or a, a Zoom meeting, or a WhatsApp group, just people. Because we'll be asleep, believing the strength is our own. But there will be no strength, because he will have left us to our self-sufficient lives. That would be a mess. A mess that we created, believing our strength was our own, not calling on God for his strength. Our mess will be the theme of this whole series, a sabotaged spirituality, and we, the saboteurs. I've talked about welcoming people uh, before in, in a sermon, but I'm talking about it again because I do think it's one of Redeemer's strengths. The priority Redeemer puts on welcome is good. It's a strength. If we're not recognising where that strength is coming from, though, and we're attributing it to ourselves, we'll find ourselves thinking that we're, we're there with our arms open welcoming. But we're actually just having a great time because we're talking to our friends or with people that are very similar to us. If we aren't seeking God for this strength, then we're going to find the love that the church shows is very shallow. And it'll look no different or worse to any other group or community in Chalton. And if it's also just con confined to saying hi to someone that we don't know on a Sunday or um, once a year giving socks to reach out to the community... <laughs> In fact, when Christina made that call and said, Redeemer, we, we, we give some socks to reach out for homeless, and I took socks round, I actually caught myself thinking, all right, great, that's done, check that box. Cholton, consider yourself loved. It can't, it can't end there, though. It can't stop there, otherwise we'll find that strength to actually be our weakness. And as a group, we'll be without God's strength, and we will be without God. This brings us to the godless Philistines. When we think of Philistines, we often think of them as strong. If you've heard of the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine, and he was a giant, and he was very strong. And in this story, we have the Philistines as the strong oppressors of Israel, but only as much as God will allow. When you read through this story, you see that every Philistine's success is followed 
by a Philistine defeat. That's because these people who are not God's people and therefore are godless do not have God's strength. Their first success is winning Samson's bet, but that's followed by a slaughter of 30 of their own. The next success is Samson is gone and peace is restored. Unfortunately for them, their agriculture takes a hit as their grain is burnt to a cinder. The Philistines think they have success in getting to the root of the problem that is Samson's wife and her father. The following failure involves another slaughter by Samson. So they have success in binding and having Samson delivered to them and it just leads to another massive slaughter of many of their people. And they try to ambush him and that leads them with their city gate ripped out of its wall and their strength is impaired. They capture and weaken Samson. But the, finer, the final failure results in chapter 16, verses 30. He pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. The Philistines, the strength of the day, the superpower to Israel, has only as much strength that God will allow them. And only as much power over Israel as uh, Satan will convince them of. Most of the time, Satan fails to convince Samson of their power, of the Philistines' power, but Israel, Israel is convinced the whole time. The Israelites' view of the Philistines makes me think of a pet cat, all cuddly, but if it's threatened, it'll have its back hair stick on end to make it look big and it'll kind of do this gangster pose to look threatening. And I'm thinking, looking at this thing, I'm thinking it might hurt me. It might even kill me. But if I knew the power that was available to me, who wouldn't be having this standoff with uh, a cat? We know it's good to recognize our weakness. But where have we forgotten that God is stronger than the powers around us? Where are we convinced that the enemy is stronger than God? I'd say an enemy to every church is prayerlessness. When we settle with one prayer a day, even zero prayers in a day, and we continually ask our core groups or missional communities for prayer that we would spend more time with God, this is clearly a great thing to desire, more time with God. We are week after week coming to others with requests for prayer for our prayer life. But we're actually stuck in prayerlessness. We're too busy and it's always been that way. Ever since the second child just struggled to find the time. Or ever since we bought this house just not being able to you know, really get into his word. Or ever since I've been in this emotional state, I've not been able to bring this stuff to God. With our words, we're saying, Tim, will you pray for me? But we're not really crying out. We believe that this enemy is too strong for God. 
too strong for God to work through us, or we're content as we are. But like Samson, God wants to partner with us using his strength. So let's not be convinced by an imitation of strength. Let's not remain apart from God. Because for Samson, to lose his eyes must have been awful. To lose his strength, worse. But to be without God, absolute worst. He needs real strength from this mess that he created with his own strength. He needs God. And as we look at what real strength looks like, at the reality of strength, this passage shows us two things. As I've already alluded to, it comes from God, but it also costs God. Firstly, the reality of strength is that it comes from God. The book of Judges spends a whole chapter, chapter 13, with this elaborate nativity scene. This long origin story for Samson is written to show that God did not pick a leader from all the Israelites that were already there. He didn't pick a hero. He didn't find one and then use them. He grew his own hero. He grew a deliverer in the womb of a faithful but nameless woman. Nameless so that God gets the glory. God won't accept anything from Samson's parents because all the strength is coming from God. God won't even give any more information than they need because God knows his purpose for his strength. So we affiliate all the strength to God. This beast of a man exhibiting God's strength has been grown by God. The reality of strength is that it comes from God. One way in which we've applied this passage to us refers to the quality or quantity of time in which we spend with God. Where does this desire come from? To spend more time with him. Where do the means come from? It comes from God. As Samson's father did in chapter 13, verse 8, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us. Pardon your servant, O Lord, O originator of strength, O strong one, I beg you. So if you're struggling how much time you've spent with him, then where is the best place to go? To the one who gives all the strength. Call out to him, beg him. Keep asking those in your core group and missional community for prayer on this. Keep asking um, because it is a good thing, but make sure you're begging God. We've also already thought about how we love each other. If you feel too weak to do that, that is normal. It's a normal thing to look out for yourself as well. That makes us a normal group of people. It is a supernatural thing to love with real strength. It requires him. It comes from him. Let's beg him and he'll show us his strength. He'll show his strength through us, his weak people. 
I asked the question earlier um, as to God showing his strength through his people's weakness and whether that looks narcissistic. But we also see in this passage that it also costs God. In fact, it costs God the most. Firstly, we saw at the start of this passage, at the start of chapter 13, the Israelites doing evil. So God allowing the oppression through the Philistines. And while nobody cried to him, while no one called out for his strength, he gave it anyway. Where God should be praised, he isn't. Where he should be petitioned for help, he isn't. Where God's people are oppressed, temples are built for someone else. Where God has pity despite all the insults, God is dishonoured. Where God's saviour is humiliated, God is also humiliated. Chapter 16 verse 20 says, But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Where the fictitious Dagon's works are praised, God's absence isn't even mourned. The reality of strength is that it comes from God, but it also costs him. He'll give us that strength, but we'll never be able to pay for it. It's already paid for, the full cost. Even more so, we see this reflected in God's son, Jesus. He became weak so that his strength could be ours. So this necessary strength, the one we didn't ask for and didn't deserve, we aren't to be fooled into thinking that it's coming from us. Because that's how we just wind up a, a bunch of people with no more strength to love each other when things get difficult. And we aren't to be fooled into thinking it isn't enough that the powers around us are, are too much for God's strength. Because that's how we wind up just a bunch of people that are drowning in our weakness like, like anyone. Wanting to pray and listen to God, but without knowing how to. And we're to remember that the reality of strength is that it came from him. It comes from him and it will always come from him because it's been paid for by him. His strength can be ours, but never the cost. We have a supernatural access to his strength but only our weakness to give him. Let's pray.